Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. This is a special holiday edition of the Joel Klatt Show. I've got game previews, including a big rundown of the game right now. College football has never been better. Interest has never been higher. I believe that we are at the dawn of the golden age of college football. It was an epic day of college football. It was one of those days where you fall in love with the sport all over again. Hey, welcome into the program, everybody. I'm Joel Klatt. This is the Joel Klatt Show, presented by Hampton by Hilton. And a very happy Thanksgiving to all of you. I hope that you are enjoying your day so far. I hope that you have uh, big plans to hang out with loved ones and uh, hopefully enjoy a meal and enjoy some football during the course of the day. It's become really the American tradition. Um, so, yeah, uh, at the end of the show, I'll, I'll break down a little bit more about what Thanksgiving means to me personally, but first we've got to get into some of these game previews and I've got to tell you how to follow the show. You go subscribe wherever you're listening and make sure to follow us, comment, uh, leave us a review if you could, please. That would uh, be very helpful. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe to the show. And if you're listening, just know that we always have YouTube exclusive content that we can't do just audio, that there's a visual component to here at the Joel Class Show. So even if you just listen on your jog, walk, commute, whatever it is, make sure to go over and find us on YouTube and subscribe there so that you can uh, find all that content that we give you during the course of the week. You can follow us on social media at Joel Class Show, and you can follow me personally. I'm on Twitter. See, this is what's so weird about it calling X. It's like, I've got to say, like, I'm on X. Nope, nope. No, I'm not. I'm on Twitter, form, for, X formerly known as Twitter. You got to say it quickly, I guess, at Joel Klatt. Okay, let's get into it. I want to take a good amount of time here and, and break down this matchup that we're going to have. What is undoubtedly one of the great games that we're ever going to have in this series with Michigan and Ohio State. And there is a bit of... of sadness in this one and and the reason is is because I just don't know if we're going to have the game in this magnitude maybe ever again as college football evolves we're getting into a point where we're getting rid of divisions in the Big 10 we're expanding the playoff from 4 to 12 all things that I think are necessary and better overall but there's always going to be unintended consequences to every action right there's an opposite reaction and Part of that is going to be that this game, I don't know if it's going to have the level of significance that it does this year moving forward. 
You know, in, in future years, you might have a rematch in the conference championship game. The loser would almost certainly be not only in the playoff, but probably hosting a first-round game in the playoff. So the stakes are as high as they will ever be, ever again, on Saturday in the big house between the number two and three-ranked teams in the country, Michigan and Ohio State. We start with just the pressure of the game, the magnitude of the game. And I think that the pressure of the game is going to be uniquely felt by Ryan Day. Now, I've gotten to know Ryan very well. I think Ryan's one of the best coaches in America. He's one of the guys that I would love my sons to play for. He is just a good man. He has an excellent staff. He recruits at a high level. And he's under an immense amount of pressure. Why? Because this fan base requires you to beat Michigan. You know, he's done just about everything. Now, he hasn't won a national championship, but he's won playoff games. He's won the Big Ten championship. And yet, these last two games and losses against Michigan have put him in a situation where his fan base is looking squarely at him and saying, you have to win this game. And now with the circumstances surrounding this game, he's going to be looking across the field, not at Jim Harbaugh, who's one of the most successful coaches across any level of football in the last two decades, but he's going to be looking at Sharon Moore, who's going to be the acting coach for Michigan and doing it for the fourth time in his life. Okay, so that ratchets up all the pressure on Ryan Day. Now, I'm not saying that it's justified. I'm just saying that it's there. In fact, a lot of this pressure I don't believe is justified. I think that the fan base is crazy for trying to, to think about, you know, well, Ryan doesn't do X, Y, or Z. I mean, are you kidding me? This guy is sensational. He is recruiting at a high level. There's no end in sight. He's going to continue to remain dominant as the Big Ten evolves into what could be arguably one of the best conferences in the country, if not the best conference in the country next year, he's going to be right at the top. Everyone's going to be having to gun for Ohio State. And yet, these last two ball games, 21 and 22, losing to Michigan, not okay. Not okay, at least for the fan base. And, and listen, to some extent, I understand that. And as Urban Meyer will tell you, it's not just a game. It's not just a week. It's just not just a month. It's not just a season, it's a way of life, you know, for those people at Ohio State. And, and they desperately want to win this game. And Ryan is going to be under an immense amount of pressure in order to get that done. Now, on the field, these two defenses are really the, the two units that are the most impressive of any in the game. These two de defenses are the top two scoring defenses in America coming into this ballgame. They're the only two teams in the country that are allowing less than 10 points. I think it's fair to say that we might have a fairly low scoring game. I don't see the explosion of points happening in this game that we saw in 21 or that we saw last year in 2022. I think it's going to be lower scoring. I think that possessions will be at a premium because both of these defenses have a similar philosophy, not structure, not schematics, but philosophy. And that philosophy really banks on the fact that they are going to put the pressure on the offense to execute time and time again. Namely, better way of saying this, these are defenses that are just not going to give up the big play. And when you don't give up the big play, and neither of them have uh, for the most part this season, you force the offense to have to execute 10, 12, 13 times in order to go score. That's hard to do, in particular under pressure, like the pressure of this game. And 
I think that both of these defenses will continue to play well and continue to do what they have done all year, which is not give up those big plays. I'm going to focus on Ohio State for a quick moment because last year it really was a defense that had shown a lot of promise during the course of the season, and there was some optimism about what was going on on the defensive side, in particular after the previous year in which the defense just was not good enough on their uh, trip to the national championship. Uh, no, 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 not good enough in particular in that game against Michigan, um, not stopping the run. So they came in there, and, and they wanted – at all costs, to stop the run, to prove that they were physical enough to stop the run. In some ways, their, their desire to prove that led them into some defensive structures that were incredibly vulnerable to big plays. And that's why you saw all of those big touchdown plays from the Wolverines a year ago. You saw what I would categorize as cover zero, no safety back, there's no levels in the defense. You're just putting everyone at the line of scrimmage, and you're trying to force the action, all right? You're going all in, okay, before you see the flop. Get a little Texas Hold'em reference. And that hurt them. And several of those touchdowns were because of that aggressive defense. Because in that defense, one guy doesn't do his job. One guy misses the tackle. One guy is out of his gap, and it's gone. It's gone, and it's a huge play. So philosophically, this year, they were a little bit different. They didn't change their structure on defense, but what they did is they started to maintain their levels even while they wanted to be aggressive. So rather than cover zero blitz, which you saw more, now it's not that they won't do it, they just don't do it as often. And what you saw more of was cover one blitz. What's different about that, Joel? Well, you got a safety back, and his angle and his ability to at least tackle the ball carrier means that you're not giving up 40-plus yard plays and you're not giving up long touchdowns. So what do you do? You make them snap the ball again. You're putting the pressure back on the offense to execute. Now you've got to go execute again. Okay, so that's what Ohio State has done, and they've done a really good job of it. Well, Michigan does that as well. Michigan maintains their levels of defense. Very rarely do you see them go for something all out unless it's a situation that calls for that, and they'll generally have a safety back as well. Why? Because they don't want to give up an easy, cheap score to the opposition. Not, not when you're going to utilize the style of offense that Michigan uses, which is more of a ball control, limit the possessions. Well, if you're limiting possessions and you're giving up cheap touchdowns, that's not a good recipe for success. Okay, so that's what both of these defenses do, and there's a lot of talented players on these defenses. Both defensive lines are very good. I would give the edge to Michigan on the interior at defensive tackle. I would give the edge to Ohio State on the edge of the defensive line at defensive end with JT Tuimolo out and Jack Sawyer, who played really well a week ago. The secondaries are good. I, I don't quite know how they will be when tested. In particular, if Roman Wilson is back for, for Michigan, or certainly from Michigan's standpoint, when you're looking over and you're seeing Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Abuka and Cade Stover and even Travion Henderson, to some extent, catching the ball out of the backfield. One of the matchups that I cannot wait to see, though, just cannot wait to see, is Will Johnson, the excellent corner from Michigan, against Marvin Harrison Jr. I do think that Will is going to follow him around at times. Now, they've got enough from a talent perspective where he's not just going to have to, he's not just going to be blanketed on Marvin the whole time, but there's certainly going to be times where Will Johnson's going to have to go cover number 18. And that's a tremendous matchup. 
I can't wait. It's going to be very similar to Harrison against Joey Porter last year in the Penn State game. Now, Will is really good, but you know how I feel about Marvin. I think Marvin Harrison's the best football player in college football. You know, like when you when you watch him play, he's so clean, he's so good, he understands what he's doing at all times. He's got catch radius, he's strong, he's fast, you know, all of those things. And and rest assured, I I firmly believe with the amount of pressure that's on Ryan Day, like I just spoke of a little bit ago, there's not a doubt in my mind that they are going to target Marvin Harrison 10-plus, 12-plus, 13-plus times during the course of this game. There's no way in the world that Ryan Day is going to sit there and potentially lose this game without Marvin Harrison being at least a potential factor. There's no way. There's nothing Michigan can do to try to take Marvin Harrison out of the game because Ohio State's going to go there. And they're going to go there often. They're going to use creative sets and motions and movement in order to get him a matchup where they can get him the ball. You saw that against Penn State earlier in the year, and I think that you're going to see that against Michigan as well. Let's move to the offensive side uh, first, and I'm going to save the quarterbacks for the end. Let's talk about offensive line play, because all of a sudden what we thought was a real strength for Michigan has become a bit of a question mark here late in the season. Namely because of injuries. So Ladarius Henderson was out last week against Maryland. He's the starting left tackle. That means that Miles Hinton had to start, one of those backup offensive linemen, who, by the way, is very talented and very well could be drafted. So it's not like they're missing a lot just because he went in the game. But he went down during the game. So all of a sudden, the depth is really being stressed for Michigan's offensive line. And then the biggie, and that is Carson Barnhart. So I know Keegan's going to play well and Drake Nugent's going to play well and Zach Zinter, the interior of that offensive line. But my question is going to be about Carson Barnhart. Michigan had to run the ball 32 straight times on offense against Penn State because they couldn't protect the passer. Yes, they're going to spin it, and and they were able to about saying like, no, this is just going to be our MO. We're going to go back to what our, our blueprint is. Okay, fair enough. And they were able to be successful. But a big part of that was the fact that it was really clear right from the get-go that Carson Barnhart wasn't going to be able to pass protect against the speed rush of Penn State. It's very clear. Now, Barnhart started again against Maryland at the right side. Maryland, you know, they weren't really taking advantage of him like Penn State was. But then when Miles Hinton got hurt, Barnhart had to move to the left tackle spot. And when he went to left tackle, he got beat again very quickly by speed rush. If I'm Ohio State, I'm looking at that, and I'm going to test Carson Barnhart right away because Michigan has shown that they understand this and that you can take them out of a big portion of their game plan, namely the drop-back passing game, right away by just showing that you can beat their tackles on the speed rush. Penn State did it, but then the problem was is that they couldn't defend the run after that. Okay, on the flip side, Ohio State's offensive line. Ohio State's offensive line has gotten better and better and better. I was critical of this unit earlier in the season. I thought that they did a poor job of getting up to the second level. But as Ryan Day generally does, he figures it out, and he unlocks the code, and he finds the puzzle. And he's done that with two things. One, a little bit of a change in schematics, back to what they were doing in in, in really 2020 with Trey Sermon. And then also a healthy, revitalized, and energetic Travion Henderson. That's totally changed the offense for Ohio State and and has totally changed, to be fair, the quality of the way that the offensive line is playing. 
Travion Henderson is playing as well as anybody in America. He is explosive. When you can get him to the second level, he makes people miss. All right? And so that's the charge for the offensive line of Ohio State. Get Henderson to the second and third level. And they've been doing that really well over the course of the last few games. He has been dominant, speaking of Henderson. And he's going to need to be dominant again against Michigan. Michigan can be run against, even though it doesn't feel like they can, if you're in the right sets and formations and personnel groups. One of the things you have to do against Michigan is that you've got to get into their nickel defense, which means they've got two defensive linemen on the field, not three, and then run at the interior of that defensive line. It's hard, and I'm not saying it's not, because those guys are are incredibly tough and stout in there in the run wall of the defensive front. But Ohio State will be in a three-receiver set, 11 personnel, getting nickel on the field, and then Henderson and that offensive line have got to be able to run the football. That's a big key in this game. Okay, now let's go to the quarterbacks. Quarterbacks are huge in this one. We all know that. J.J. McCarthy and Kyle McCord. Now, J.J. has played incredible football for the bulk of the season. Didn't play great last week. And to be fair, I would say the two games where he, or three games where he struggled the most were the three games that Sharon Moore was the acting head coach. Bowling Green, three picks. Penn State probably wasn't his fault, but they had totally abandoned the pass game. And then last week against Maryland, threw another pick. He's thrown four picks on the season. All four came in the three games where Sharon Moore was the acting head coach. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's just a coincidence. Okay, it might be. And maybe it's not. I don't, I don't know. And I don't see anything on the film that would suggest like, ah, oh, they're not making the adjustment. Sharon is not in a position to make an adjustment. I would just say that that's something to watch out for. He didn't look healthy against Maryland. He got rolled up on at one point in the Penn State game and started to limp. I noticed it then. I noticed it again against Maryland in, in the pregame. And then he didn't run around a lot. And that's a guy, in particular with the way the pass rush was getting beat, that needed to use his legs and will need to use his legs against Michigan. He's going to need to run for three or four first downs in order to keep the chains moving and potentially go and score touchdowns. So that's J.J. McCarthy. Can he do it? Yes. Has he played really well for the majority of the season? Yes. In fact, when I talk with defensive coordinators around the Big Ten, they all say this guy's special, he's elite, and his level of play this season has gone to the stratosphere. Did it come back a little bit against Maryland? Yes. Should I be that worried about it? I don't know. I don't know. I would, I would expect him to revert back to what he has been during the course of the year. Then there's Kyle McCord. Now, Kyle McCord, he's been up and down. Like I'll, I'll, And at times, they have to play around him and nurse him through the game. I saw it live against Penn State. I saw it live against Maryland. And then there are other times when he's the catalyst, and it's a quarterback-centered offense that has to go move the ball, namely on the road in a top-10 matchup at the time against Notre Dame. That was a hostile environment. That's going to pay huge dividends for him as he can pull on that experience in this game on the road in Ann Arbor. Kyle McCord is an incredibly talented player, and he's got great players around him. And the difference for him is that all he really has to do is go be a game manager. All right? And I know that there's bad connotations. And is he going to have to make plays here and there? Yes, of course. But guess what? That's what being a game manager is. When the play is there to be made, you make it. When the big throw is there to be made, you make it. 
you know, and, and those are the things that he's going to have to do because he has Henderson in the backfield. He's got Stover at tight end. He's got the best wide receiver in the country and Marvin Harrison on the outside and Abuka getting healthier and healthier. He doesn't have to be great. He just has to be good, reasonable. Don't turn the ball over. When it's there, make the play. And to be fair, in the last few games, when you watch the film, he's making great throws. He's playing at a high level. There's no doubt. I think the biggest question for me is just how, how they handle the red zone. That's something that they've struggled with as an offense. Red zone offense, scoring touchdowns and not field goals. That's something that's going to have to improve during the course of, of this game. Last thing is on this game is that two teams that on, on paper look like they're coming into this game, maybe heading in two different tra trajectories. Okay, It looks like Ohio State playing their best football. It looks like Michigan's starting to struggle a little bit in the last couple. But, but if you actually look at the teams that they struggled against and you look at the teams that they played well against, it's actually the same teams. It just happened at different parts of the year. Michigan just looked just as dominant against teams like Michigan State and Minnesota as Ohio State has the last couple of weeks. Ohio State struggled almost identically with Penn State and Maryland, just like Michigan did. Okay, so you can say that the timing, that the trajectories are different, but when you look at the schedule makeup, the only thing that's different about the way that they've played against very similar schedules and similar opponents within the Big Ten is timing. It's timing. Then you would also say, listen, for all the panic about Michigan and the way they played last week against Maryland, wasn't it much worse last year after the Illinois game? I would argue that it was. JJ did not look great against that Illinois team. Blake Corum hurt his meniscus, and it looked like he wasn't going to be available. Donovan Edwards had a hand injury and was playing with a club on his hand. They had to bring Khalil Mullings over from linebacker to make him a running back for the game. J.J. had not shown any ability to really throw the ball effectively down the field during the course of the season. The outlook for Michigan last year going into this game on the road in the shoe was much more bleak than this year at home with a healthy Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, and a J.J. that has proven to play on big levels and big stages. Right? I think that that's absolutely fair. And on the flip side, do, does Ohio State have C.J. Stroud? No. But is their defense way better than the defense that is coming into the game a year ago? Yes. Is Henderson a different player and a more healthy player and a more explosive player than what he was before the game last year? Yes. Is Kyle McCord Stroud? No. But if you're going to play on the road, don't you want the experience of doing it and succeeding in your back pocket? Yes. And that's what McCord has from that game against Notre Dame earlier in the year. All this to tell you, this is going to be a phenomenal game. I know I spent a lot of time on that game, but I wanted to give it its due because this is the game of the year. There's no bigger game in the college football season. This game is likely never going to have the implications that it does this year as we move forward and college football evolves. The path for the loser to get into the playoff is so slim and narrow that this game is everything. This game means everything. You cannot achieve any of your goals as a program if you lose this game. You're not going to win the Big Ten. and In all likelihood, you will not get that get-out-of-jail-free card that Ohio State had a year ago and still make the playoff. It's just not going to happen. Getting ready to take on spring? 
Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, it's my favorite favorite time of year. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. Football season is, is obviously my favorite. And as you know, I take it seriously. So when I'm traveling on the road to watch my favorite teams, I can't risk calling the wrong play with where I stay. Wherever I go, I know that I can count on Hampton by Hilton. I can depend on their comfortable rooms. Their warm, friendly service is always a consistent. And their free hot breakfast is a total game changer for me. Whether you're cheering on your team from the stands or never leaving the tailgate, Hampton by Hilton will always give you that win. Okay, here we go. Let's go through these uh, a, a little faster now after I spent so much time on, on the game, and rightly so. Oregon State, Oregon. Now, Oregon's favored by 13 and a half. Oregon State came back, remember, last year because of some of those decisions on fourth Dan, down. Dan Lanning was super aggressive on the road in Corvallis. They had a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter, and Oregon State came back and won that game and knocked the Ducks out of the Pac-12 championship game. Oregon comes into this matchup with the number two scoring offense in the country. Bo Nix right now, as far as betting favorites go, is the betting favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. Can't argue with that, the way that he's playing. I know Penix uh, is going to have his shot, and if he remains undefeated, I would still bet that he would win if he's able to remain undefeated. But Nix and Oregon, they're going to be awfully tough to beat. Awfully tough to beat. I think it's a worse matchup for Oregon State, actually, than last week's matchup against Washington. See, against Washington, you can limit possessions. You can run the football. They had the rain. They were at home. Like, the Beavers had a better chance to beat Washington than I think they're going to have to beat Oregon. Nix is starting his record 59th career game. He's playing at a level that he's never played before, an incredibly high level. He's completing 78% of his passes, which, by the way, if he's able to continue that mark or even elevate it, that would set an FBS record. That was held by Mac Jones, by the way, 77.4 in the COVID year. Oregon's run defense for this matchup against a team that wants to run the football is excellent. Oregon's defensive line doesn't get the credit that they deserve. They're excellent. They're stout. They can rush the passer. They're 11th in the country stopping the run. Oregon State is tough to beat. All right. And I don't care where it's going to be. I don't care if the matchup is, is bad. They've lost three games this season by a combined eight points. All right. Jonathan Smith has done an unbelievable job at Oregon State. He should be up for jobs all over the country. If I was Texas AM, that would be the first call I would make is Jonathan Smith. They lost by three at Wazoo early in the year, three to Arizona on the road, and by two to Washington. Right. So, 13 and a half is a big number Oregon has favored, even being at home. I do think it's going to be fascinating, though, watching DJ Uyunglele face his younger brother, Mateo, who's a defensive lineman for Oregon. Um, Dan Lanning was asked, like, did you have any words of advice for your brother, or excuse me, for Mateo playing his brother on Saturday? And Dan was like, yeah, hit him. <laughs> Which is music to any younger brother's ears. I'm a younger brother, and you asked me to hit my brother, I'm like, I'm all in. Uh, DJ threw a couple of picks last week against Washington, um, but it's really going to be about their ability to protect him from that pass rush, which is really good, and Mateo Uyunglele 
is part of that. If I had to make a prediction, I think Oregon wins this game, but Oregon State just doesn't get beat by 13 and a half generally, so I would probably bet Oregon State, but take Oregon if I was just trying to pick an outright winner. Texas Tech at Texas. Texas is a 12 and a half point favorite. They're at home on Friday night, by the way. This is going to be played under the lights. Tech, remember, won this matchup a year ago. That was in overtime. That was the week after, I believe, that loss to Alabama when Ewers had gotten hurt and Hudson Card went in there and played as the backup quarterback. They lost in Lubbock. Texas is a different team than that team that lost in Lubbock. I, I firmly believe that. They're so much better on the defensive side. They're the number one scoring defense in the Big 12. They're really good up front on the defensive line, and it's part of the reason why they've had such consistency during the course of the season. I get it. They lost to Oklahoma, but you know what? Crazy things happen in Red River. This is still a really good team that has gotten over what was always their issue previously, which was the fact that they would play down to the level of competition. Tech has won three straight, so they're playing better. All close games. Uh, they've won the last three by a combined 11 points, and so now they're 6-5. and five. And they get bowl eligible, so good for them. Their running back and their game is centered, I would say, around that running game. Taj Brooks, third in the country in rushing at 122 yards per game. But he's been going against that defense that I just mentioned. That defense is incredibly difficult to beat. They're incredibly difficult to run the ball against. Just ask Kansas State. Kansas State's one of the best rushing teams in the Big 12 and basically had to abandon running the football, and that became a passing game very quickly because of guys like Tavondre Sweat. Byron Murphy up front. The defensive line for Texas is outstanding. Last thing would just be how how healthy does Ewers continue to be? And then how well does C.J. Baxter fill in for Jonathan Brooks? Baxter had 117 yards last week on 20 carries in the win over Iowa State. He needs to continue to be really good because, again, that offense, Brooks did everything for them. Caught it well, blocked well, ran well inside and outside. So the young Baxter is going to have to be uh, big in the absence of Jonathan Brooks. Let's move down to Florida, where Florida State goes on the road to face the Gators under the lights in the swamp. Florida needs to win to become bowl eligible. Wrap your mind around that with an eight-game conference schedule. And you'll understand that Florida is not a very good football team. They have lost four in a row. They're missing their quarterback, Graham Mertz. Florida State has got to go win this game by a lot. They're favored by only six and a half. And I get it, they're, they're without Jordan Travis. But again, this is going to matter a great deal how they play, how they look. Just as it mattered in 2014 for Ohio State when they lost JT Barrett late in the season and Cardell Jones had to go into the ball game. And then he went into that Big Ten championship game and they hammered Wisconsin. All right? FSU needs to hammer Florida. Florida is not a good football team. They play in an eight-game conference schedule, and they're not bowl eligible yet. Come on. You know, Utah beat them by 13. This is, it's just, it's, it's not a thing. And, and I get it. Like, oh, Florida beat Tennessee. Exactly. Exactly. Tennessee's the most overrated team in college football currently. Okay? So, this game is going to be about how does Florida State look without Jordan Travis? Tate Rodemaker, redshirt junior, he's only making his second career start. He did come off the bench last year and lead the Knowles to a win over Louisville. Uh, in that game, Travis got hurt in the first half. But he's only thrown eight passes this season before the injury a week ago. Got three quarters in, but that's against North Alabama. I mean, 
say what you will. I, I know it's still a football game. And if you're Auburn, you lose games like that by 21, but it's still North Alabama. I would say, even though exactly, by the way, this is so similar to 2014 with, with that Ohio State team who eventually won the national championship. Cardell Jones was able to lean on great skill position players, namely Ezekiel Elliott, good offensive line, excellent wide receiver core. And what does Florida State have? Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, Trey Benson, really experienced offensive line. So go out there and prove to the committee that you're still one of the top four teams in America, even without Jordan Travis. I think Florida State wins, and I hope they win big. Washington State at Washington. Washington is favored by 16 and a half. Washington has won their last 18 straight games. They continue to just churn out these victories, even if they're by slim margins. They've won seven straight games by fewer than 10 points. And this might be similar, although I don't think Washington State is, is nearly as good as, as Washington, certainly. Even though Cam Ward, he can throw as well as anybody. These are the two top passers in the country. They're one and number four in passing this season. So these guys are going to be putting it up a lot. Pennix only completed 13 passes in the rain last week against Oregon State on the road in Corvallis. But remember, there was a rainstorm. Still, seven of those went to Adonze. Roma Adonze is, is he's, he's as good as everyone. I mean, he's, he's nearly as good as Marvin Harrison, Keon Coleman. Those three are just incredible wide receivers. Um, I, you look at this, Washington put up 51 points last year in this matchup, 51-33. That was in Pullman. I don't think the 16 and a half is enough. I think Washington is on a roll, and, and they're, they're not going to get beat in this game, even if they're looking ahead to the Pac-12 championship game. Let's go down to the Iron Bowl. Alabama favored by 14 and a half over Auburn. This one's at Auburn. Auburn just lost by 21 to New Mexico State. I mean, come on. It's one thing to play the game late in November, but to get beat by 21 at home against New Mexico State. Bama's won nine straight. They're highly motivated. And by the way, Auburn had won three in a row before this. It's not like they were clearly like the worst team in the SEC and you could see this coming. Like the SEC in the middle and the bottom half of that conference is just not very good this year. It's just not. This is proof of that. Auburn loses by 21 to New Mexico State at home. Come on. So now Bama's going to roll in. It's a very motivated Bama, and it's a Bama that understands that there's no wiggle room. They've got to win. They've got to win impressively, and then they're going to have to go win against Georgia if they want a chance to get into the college football playoff. And even at that point, it would still just be a chance because they've got the home loss to a team that could be also up for debate in the Texas Longhorns. Hugh Freeze is one of five coaches to beat Nick Saban more than once since he got to Alabama. The others were Les Miles, Gus Malzahn, Urban Meyer, Dabo Sweeney. Freeze beat Bama twice when he was at Ole Miss. Jalen Milrow, though, he's playing at a different level. 13 total touchdowns over his last three games. He's been outstanding, and Bama's going to win this one. I think they're going to win this one big. 14 and a half is not enough. If New Mexico State can beat Auburn by 21, at Auburn, Bama can do the same. They can absolutely do the same. Um, hey, I want to take a quick moment here and just tell you all, on this Thanksgiving day, I'm incredibly thankful for a lot of things. 
Um, one of, well, the most, the most important part of my life and the thing that I'm most thankful for is Jesus Christ. He's my savior and there's nothing that I can earn in this life apart from him. And my future is secure in him. And I'm thankful for that every day, but certainly on Thanksgiving week, I'm incredibly thankful for my family, my beautiful, stunning, supportive wife, Sarah, I love you. I'm very thankful for you and our three boys, Henry, Sam, Theo. I love you guys so much. I'm thankful for all the support you give me to do this incredible uh, job. And then the last thing that I would say is, is I'm thankful for college football fans. You. Thankful for you. I'm thankful for you listening to this, uh, being a part of this, being passionate about this sport that we love, being passionate about the team that you love. I know that it can get snarky and it can get rude on social media, but the bottom line is this. I love it when people care about this sport because this sport is great. I want to celebrate the kids that are playing it, champion champion those kids and, and what their futures will be, and just love it so that you love it. Because at the end of the day, this is just a game. And I want to enjoy it because I love it so much. So, Thank you all for listening to this show, being a part of this show, making it successful now in our second year. Um, it has grown beyond my wildest dreams in just two years. I would encourage you to share it with a friend so that more of us can be talking about college football and living and breathing college football on a day in a day out basis during the course of the season. Go ahead and follow us, subscribe where you're, wherever you're listening, subscribe on the YouTube channel. But most importantly, have an incredible Thanksgiving with the ones that you love. Be safe and enjoy the games.